Okay. Don't write this down, but I find Milton probably as boring as you find Milton. Mrs. Milton found him boring, too. He, uh, he's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into our generation, and his jokes are terrible. But that does not relieve you from your responsibility for this material. Now, I'm waiting for reports from some of you. I'm not joking. This is my job. Hi, this is Cinemad. Today I'm talking with my friend, Sean, who's an English professor, and we're going to talk about movies, about English professors. Hi, Sean. Thanks for doing this. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. So what's funny is you, you kind of brought this up. We were just hanging out at somebody's house, and you're like, man, I've been watching all these films about English professors, and they're all kind of horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I did it last summer because um, uh-huh. I've been taking all these motorcycle trips with my dad, and we, we go around for like a week or two. We'll go around on motorcycles to kind of these remote places. And when I talk to people, they genuinely like me, and then they ask me, what do you do? And I say, I'm an English professor. And rural people just have no trust of me anymore. And I'm like, but we had serious? a rapport, man. <laughs> what happened? And uh, and for some reason, I, I was like, man, English professors have a bad name. What's this about? Right. And then I started watching movies about English professors to get kind of a sense. And I, I know part of the sense is that like uh, Fox News and places, conservative radio kind of attack professors in general um, oh that's interesting but uh but i think I, I wanted to look at kind of more mainstream stuff you know well, not that right. i mean fox isn't really that mainstream it's just it's, a big chunk of wing nuts yeah it's the most popular outsider right kind of form of news but what um uh like what brought you to just being an english professor like when you were a kid what w- did you like go to school and really admire teachers or when you were in college, did you have sort of a rapport as a student with professors? Um, kind of. I mean, I've always been a writer, and I've always written mm-hmm. fiction. And um, and when I went to Florida State, it had a really, it has a really good English program. And so I, I developed a rapport with English professors who were pretty accomplished. You know, like one of, one of my professors had been a finalist for the National Book Award, and one was on NPR, and one was like the top scholar in her field, and I got to know all of these people, and I, and and they impressed me. And then I graduated, and and I went back to working construction, which is what I did to put myself through school. And and then I thought, you know, they may have figured something out. And so I went back for a master's, and I I taught, but then I didn't really have the same experience where I got my master's. And then I just kind of back ended my way into being a professor. And are you, when you're a kid, are you growing up sort of consuming books the way people sort of consume movies? Yeah, I read a, I read a ton. Um, and, and part of it was my, my family didn't have a ton of money when I was a kid, and we never had cable. And for a, lot, a long time, we didn't really have a working TV. Like we had a you, – you remember picture tubes? Oh, God, yeah. And, and we had this old but barely. TV. An old TV where the picture tube was always blowing out, and, and you know my dad was always kind of repairing it, and you just gradually see everything get greener, and you know so and and we had three channels, you know on on a um, antenna, and so I just I'd go to the library and and I just read a lot. And did you have any teacher uh, like your parents or aunts or uncles or anybody? Yeah, my my mom was a school teacher um, until I was in the second grade, mm-hmm. and then she. she stopped doing that in uh the late 70s so did you have like did you see teachers as 
people? Did you see him differently? Is like I know you have a problem as much problem with authority as I do. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like in high school, I, 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 well, you know, actually through a lot of school, I was always starting shit. You know, <laughs> K through twelve, um, uh-huh. it I, I, I mean, I, I was a good student grade wise, but I was a bad student behavior wise, and. Uh, wasn't until I got into college and then college kind of or really was when I got to Florida State and it was kind of a paradigm shift where um, suddenly you had professors who really knew their shit and you could really learn something from and 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 mm-hmm. felt like yeah <laughs> I mean yeah. like you, here there's a whole world that I don't know you know until I got to that age I was arrogant and I thought I knew everything but at that age I realized no, I don't. I don't. I don't know shit. And these people know a little bit more than me, and, and in a lot of cases, a lot more than me. And and now it's time to learn. What about books? Like, did you did you kind of consume any kind of book, or did you sort of get on like, sort of like uh, you like a writer and you'd read all of his stuff? A, a little of both. I, I read a lot of mainstream stuff, a lot of YA stuff until I was in high school, and then in high school I read. Um, like my dad turned me on to John Steinbeck and I mm-hmm. read a bunch of him, but not the grapes of wrath or East Eden, not the big serious ones. I'd read all the ones about the guys getting drunk, you know, like tortilla flat and cannery mm-hmm. row. And, right. and I, I dug those. And then he, my dad also got me onto uh, Mickey Spillane, okay. which now when I look back at those books, they're just, they're so sexist and they're so angry. But <laughs> I mean, in 1986, when I'm you know, 15, 16 years old, uh, damn that's some shit man this guy's badass you know and so i I read a lot of that when i was a kid too and did you have a favorite writer in general well at that age probably steinbeck yeah and then and then um when i i guess when i was a senior in high school i had a teacher who turned me on to jack kerouac and the beats and then i just flipped out for the whole generation Mm -hmm. you know um so I, i read it she turned me on to Gregory Corso, so I read all all of his poems, and then I read all the Allen Ginsberg stuff and Ferlinghetti stuff, and then I found On the Road, and then mm-hmm. and then that that was really huge for me as a kid. And did you sort of did you like? Because um, we'll get more into like how the class and how teaching is portrayed in movies versus how it is in fascinating real life. Mm-hmm. But uh, did you sort of gravitate to a certain style? Like, was it? Did you like fiction and poetry and biography? Like, because you're just a reader, or was mm-hmm. something a lot more interesting to you than the other formats? When I was younger, I did. I I read a lot of biography. I read a lot of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, as I got older, I read a lot. Like when I was in college, I read a ton of poetry, and I still read a bit of poetry. But then there came a point where I started reading just a a ton of fiction, and I read a lot of uh, like theory and philosophy too. Mm-hmm. Which it's hard to say that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for whatever reason, it just sounds pretentious. But if I'm going to be honest, I, yeah. I read a lot of that, you know. But it's weird because everybody wants to know everything about a subject. Just anybody going into like whatever it is, a dinner party or a mm-hmm. big party, and some big topic about Earth or politics or history comes up, and they want to be the one not only with like, well, actually, George Washington did this and this, but they also <laughs> want to be the one like, well, if you think about it, life is really the meaning of life is really this. <laughs> but then people are just like, oh, yeah, but I wanna, I'm not a snob. <laughs> and I'm not a big theory person, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm a snob. Yeah, um, but uh, but I, I also, if 
well, I don't go to dinner parties, but <laughs> you know, I don't really have that group of friends. But you know, when right. when you're around a bunch of professors in real life, like when I go to faculty parties, mm -hmm. professors are the first people to um, acknowledge they don't know something, mm. which is really different than you, I envisioned it. You know, I, I expected a bunch of know-it-alls, and there are some know-it-alls, um, but they're not the norm because we're all experts in one thing. You know, and, and you kind of learn when you get get your doctorate, especially when you're around a lot of people from different disciplines. You, you realize, no, I get to be an expert in one thing. You know, I, I can't know everything about everything. I, I, I know a lot about this field of literature, but that that's what I know. Every, everything else, uh, I'm, a, mm -hmm. I'm like everyone else. I just I know a little bit. I don't know much. And so were you an actual English major? Mm -hmm. And what about that going into college – like, why did you think English would be a sustainable uh, life job? <laughs> or is it something you felt so confident with because you were writing and then this could kind of make it all, you could be artistic and you might be able to work? I, I kind of thought, like, when I went to college, I thought, if I can just get smart, that'll be good enough. You know, I mean, I, I realized pretty quickly at Florida State, I don't, I don't know that much about anything. And... I, I just if I can if I can be the smartest person in most rooms I walk into I'll get jobs you know <laughs> life will work out and yeah. you know when I was taking these classes the smartest professors I had to me seemed to be the philosophy and the English professors and um, and so I, I majored in one and minored in the other and so wait sorry what were you minoring in in philosophy, philosophy. Yeah, yeah so I majored in English I minored in philosophy mm -hmm. and I, I don't think I'm the smartest person in most rooms I walk into but at least I I got smart enough to <laughs> to shut my mouth <laughs> and then what uh, what were those classes like to, since now that you're teaching from back when you were a student are there certain books that have been taught forever and are and make sense that if you go to take an english class you're going to learn about these writers and these books or does that has that changed over time a lot of that's changed, you know, when we, because you're right, you're right around my age, right? I'm 46 now. Yeah. You're, you're my age then. <laughs> um, so, uh, so when we were going to college, that's right when political correctness started coming in and, and multiculturalism was coming in and things like that. And so that was the beginning of the wave. And, and now that, that has kind of become the sea, I guess, you know, if, if that was a wave then it's the ocean now. So like when I teach American Lit, it's essentially a multicultural lit class. Oh, that's great. Um, and that, but we just call it American now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And, uh, and, and so that... And so that, did it used to be just like white men? Yeah, you'd have... Right. Literature was all the white men, and yeah. then the women were in the women's literature class, and, and oh, the African-Americans were in the African-American lit class. And so I just right. teach American Lit, and I just teach... I teach everyone. Yeah. Um, and so then, as you're going to school, is there a point that you're a student and you realize, like, oh, I'm going to become this teacher? Like, did you have favorite teachers that sort of inspired you? Are there teachers that inspire you to be a writer, and are there teachers that inspire you to be a teacher? Kind of yes and no. Um, I had I had this one professor at, at Florida State, and her name is Wendy Bishop, and she she for a long time was the premier composition scholar in the United States. And, um, and she was publishing textbooks on how to write and that kind of stuff. Mm. She was really impressive. And she was just a great person as well. Um, and 
when I would take her classes, I would think I'd like to be Wendy. You know, I mean, I'd, she she's she's the smartest person in every room I've walked in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, but then at the same time, I was. My parents were giving me some money for school, but I was working construction to get through school, and I'd go back to Florida, and I come from this real blue-collar background, so I'd go back home, and I'd work all summer uh, saving up money, and and I'd be around carpenters, and they'd say, why are you even going to school? You're a carpenter like us, so I had, I had a real trouble thinking it was possible. You know, to me, even, even something as modest as being a professor seemed like um, something too big for, for someone like me. And did you feel that, especially from like just like being in that uh, working environment, just like you're, you think you're better than us because you want to be a teacher? Yep, yep. And I, I still get that. Like when, when uh, I go back to Florida, I never tell people I'm a professor. I always tell them yeah. I'm a teacher. And I'm, mm-hmm. and when you're a professor, you're not just a teacher. I mean, I teach classes, but I'm also expected to to do scholarship and publish in scholarship. I do a lot of administrative stuff. So teaching's maybe a third of the job. Mm-hmm. You know, like actual like. Do you have tenure? I don't. I, I I'll have it soon. Okay, but do you still, as part of that, do you have to go to like uh, administrative meetings? Then is that have, a big part yeah, of it? like um, I'm part of the academic senate. I'm um, mm-hmm. in charge of like uh, committees uh, on campus, and uh, like I'm what, on like, committees that I'm not in charge of. I do hiring. I, I'm do mm-hmm. de- like the department meetings. We develop curriculum, all that stuff. So you'll so you'll be part of the people who decide like maybe what books are taught. No, no, no. Uh, professors that. decide what books are taught. But, okay. but like, so it, like when I have, talk about writing control, curriculum. You have your control over your own class? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Every professor does. Okay. Um, or should. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I, know, I know there are some places where they don't. But, it, but it, at, at the university where I teach, professors pick their own reading notes. So what we would do is we would say, developing curriculum and say, all right, here are the goals that we want to achieve in an American lit class, and here's the time period. Mm-hmm. What's an example of, like, a goal? Um, to be able to read and analyze a text. <laughs> Just, like, like uh, how the kids are writing about right. writing? To respond to a text in writing, um, mm-hmm. to demonstrate critical thinking skills. You know, the, the, these, are, these are basically. And so that's hard because it's not math. Right. And so what, what, like, how can you tell that a student is getting a book? Well, if they um, have their own idea about it and they yeah. can explain that idea to you. So they don't have to regurgitate something for you. Please don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, I know my ideas. I don't need someone to write very poorly about my ideas. <laughs> you know? And my students don't write poorly. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but if they're trying to explain my ideas, it's not, it's not going to come out as well as if they're trying to explain their own. Right. And, and I uh, – I, try to set up my classes so that so that they're they're doing things that are interesting to me mm-hmm. and to them you know but sure. but like uh i teach kind of difficult enigmatic text because then we can all get together and we can try to figure out what we're getting out of it and then they can explain to me what they're getting out of it and then that's really interesting to me you know and uh, hopefully to them too usually it is mm-hmm. what's uh what's an example of like an administrative thing you have to do like what's some of the boring shit Oh, like I'm I'm on a committee for uh, student policies and procedures, so I'll like have to write the procedure for how when how how long you have to wait before you can take classes again if you've been on academic dis- if you've been disqualified academically, uh-huh. or uh, just these terribly boring policies, you know, like yeah. what week you can drop a class in, shit like that. <laughs> right, but someone's got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, so two thirds of your 
well, job so, is more like teaching in front of kids. And well, like, so we we one third is is teaching in front of kids. Oh, one third okay. one third is the committee work, like hiring committees and gotcha. and the the policy committees and academic senate and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. one third is scholarship. So, like I, I I wrote a a book called a monograph, and monographs are books that only go kind of in in university libraries and they're only for other scholars more or less they cost a ridiculous amount of money usually they cost 60 to 80 bucks right. for a paperback that's not special you know but um <laughs> but they're only sold to libraries and so i wrote one on thomas pynchon and the occupy movement and mm-hmm. so it's it's a period- together well that's one book yeah yeah oh fine. Yeah, yeah. So I looked at Pynchon's politics and I looked at how they're reflected in, in Occupy and how Occupy's – the ideology behind Occupy permeates through Pynchon's texts. Oh, really? Yeah. And is that on purpose or is that something you noticed from the outside looking it's in? something I noticed from the outside looking in. I doubt I doubt Pynchon has I, – I have no idea what Pynchon's relationship is with Occupy, but it's it's not documented in any way. And so does that make you – that helps you get tenure, right? That makes right. you – you're published, mm-hmm. you're an academic, you're writing, you're thinking. Right. That you're, you're being an artist mm-hmm. as well. Well, and, the, and the, the novels and short story collections I write count too. So right. I, I just had a short story collection come out mm-hmm. like two months ago, and that, that counts toward tenure as well. So that, that's part of my scholarship. So, so now, now that we can tell you're a normal human being or an interesting <laughs> human being like, – had you seen movies about English professors before you would become a professor? I'm sure I had. I mean, like once I once I went back and started watching them all, some of these I had watched. You know, was like, there one that you watch and you're like, I should watch more of these? Like, what kicked off this uh, kick? What oh, started? What that's started? A good question. That's a yeah. good question. Because like, all right. I, so I, I gave you this list, and and yeah. like obviously I'd seen Animal House before, and. Right. Um, it's but, obvious because everyone's seen it or back to school, you know. Right. Um, but then uh, – But in those movies, like the professor's a smaller role. Yeah. Because it's Donald Sutherland playing like the sort of hippie mm-hmm. professor in Animal House. Right. And then back to school – It's Sally, Sally – no, Kel- Sa- Sally Kellerman. Sally right? Kellerman, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And they're not the main character, but they're smaller characters. Right, right. And then um, my wife – rented a movie called smart people with mm-hmm. it has dennis quaid in it and uh this is the second time he plays an english professor because he's also one in doa um the oh, remake right, not the remake. not the good one yeah right <laughs> <laughs> the old one's great man i love the, the old, old one's one. incredible um and i forget is he a professor in that in no no one? he's a oh. what insurance salesman or something That's like right. that they were always insurance salesmen in the 50s <laughs> And never. Yeah, you don't get a lot of insurance salesman movies anymore, do you? No, that's gone. And flip side, I was trying to think of the old movies with professors. I don't think there are that many. I don't know. I don't. I don't know any old ones like that. It's more like remakes, and it started like the seventies, and then it going to the eighties. Yeah. So you watch Smart People. Yeah, um, Uh because I was watching it, and it was kind of like Dennis Quaid plays this kind of. Bubbling, bumbling, slovenly guy, and I'm like, oh man, not cool. Um, and uh, he teaches Dickens, but like Bleak House, you know. And just, no, wait, so what does that mean, though? Oh, like, is that... like for one thing, Dickens is really dated, and it's kind of somewhat something you read in high school, not in college, so mm-hmm. so much. And um, and you know, he like Great Expectations is an excellent book, and if you're 16, you should read it. 
Um, you know, but if, if you're, he's, he's at, um, you know, kind of a prestigious private school in Pittsburgh and you really just should be getting a better education than that. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? You yeah. shouldn't be reading second tier works by, by a kind of simple author. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so, and then also there was this, this thing in the, in the extra, you know, like the DVD extras where Dennis Quaid is interviewed and he says, you know, it just goes to show that sometimes the smartest people can be the dumbest. And, and I hate that, man. I just hate that. I hate that we stigmatize intelligence so much, you know, right. like no one ever says, you know, sometimes the strongest people can be the weakest because the rock cries or something like that. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. um, so, uh, so that got me started. I was like, all right, I got to check out others. And, and so then also like, uh, mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been on this, this bike trip with my dad. So then I just started like making a list and trying to find everyone I could. And then, and then, uh, watching them either on Netflix or requesting them through the library. I noticed that like a lot of them have been since the year 2000. Yeah. A lot of these are pretty recent. That's crazy. Like animal house, those, the, the early ones like animal house and, uh, terms of endearment, back to school. These are like all 84 and back to school. was, is there a certain vibe? Is there similarities in the characters between those films? Um, just in the sense that they all fuck their students. <laughs> what is up with this? Why is I, this a thing? I don't know. Because it's not know. the plot of the film. No, no. Um, but but Sally Kellerman has an affair with with Rodney Dangerfield, and at least they're they're both adults. You know, that's that's yeah, that's true. And uh, yeah, but um, but Animal House, yeah, he's but a Animal lot House, he's kind of creeping on a student and. Yeah. Um, and then uh, with Terms of Endearment, not only is, is Jeff Bridges sleeping with one of his students, but he's doing it while his wife dies of cancer, which oh just is, is so classy, you know? <laughs> so brutal. What? And I got to uh-huh. tell you this. Yeah. That's one of two movies with English professors who are having affairs with their students as their wives die of cancer. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not like the it's just one? the one. The other one is uh, oh, One True Thing. It's William Hurt and I think mm. – I think Meryl Streep plays his wife, and and she's so. dying of cancer, and um, and then yeah, he's he's having an affair with his student, and she's dying. That's weird. It's... And they're both like plucky women who you just how, how could how yeah. could this creepy guy be cheating on her? But so he he's so creepy, he must be an English professor. <laughs> but then in both cases, it's not the main plot of the film. Even There's no, like no subplot stuff. Right, right. It's very strange. And then did you? What, what is he teaching in uh, – oh, he's is it Dante that he's teaching in Animal House? It's Milton. Oh, it's Milton. Yeah, right. yeah. Is it Paradise Lost? Uh, yeah. Right. And he even like has this sort of breakdown at one point. Right. Did that seem realistic or is it just funny? Uh, to me, it seems like just it, – it was funny when I watched Animal House as a kid. Like, oh, yeah, he's bored with Milton too. But, <laughs> but like, okay, if if you – Right now, went down to the library, picked up Paradise Lost and read it. It's, it's going to be boring. Mm-hmm. But if if I'm teaching um, Paradise Lost and it's the early what it, that's the '60s, and Milton was the Minister of Foreign Tongues during the English Civil War, and so he was he used his writing to foment a revolution against an aristocracy. If you can't make that shit interesting in the '60s, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. You're a <laughs> shitty professor. You, you, you know. Um, because like I, I teach, I used to, I used to teach a an old British lit class, and I would teach Milton's Samson Agonistes, mm-hmm. because it tells retells the story of Samson in the Bible, and um, and so I'd give them all the English Civil War background and all that. But at the end of the story in the Bible, mm-hmm. 
in the end of the the poem um samson is taking on the philistines and he goes up and there's these two pillars and he pulls down the pillars and he kills three thousand philistines with himself and it's seen in both things as, as in both pieces is very positive mm-hmm. you know and and after September 11th, where the Twin Towers go down and 3,000 people die because of religious belief, to see that we have that story in, in the Bible and we have it in our canonized works mm-hmm. should be powerful. It usually was for students because they'd be like, yeah, I dug the ending, man. He killed all those fuckers. <laughs> and then you, then you get around to it and you're like, yeah, what suicide, suicide bombings? You know, I mean, re- really, yeah. this is the way we're going to go? Yeah. Uh, in terms of endearment, is there a book in that? That she's teaching, or it's just he's a professor. I can't, I can't remember him doing any teaching because it's mostly about Deborah Winger's character and her yeah, as, right. as kind of a housewife. Right. So then it seems like after the 70s and 80s, then why is there so many of these films since basically the year 2000, right? Yeah, tons of them since then. Almost, almost all of them, I think. DOA was 90s, I think. Yeah, so what's funny is like when you told me DOA and The Gambler, I immediately thought – of the old ones, but you uh-huh. saw the remakes. Yeah, yeah, the remakes. Right. The remakes. And I did. And, we did. And in both look. cases, they. Uh-huh. Well, no, no. You said in the gambler, the original was a. It says professor. literature professor. Okay. So let's say, like, so does that not mean English professor? No, it does. Okay, I'm, good. I'm a literature professor. Yeah. Okay. So, but I think it's a, such a small part. It's been a while. I should have rewatched it. I think it's such a small part of that film. Uh-huh. It's really about him gambling. So, and he's. I think in that, it's almost like the archetype of like. Here's a guy, same thing. He's smart and he's educated, mm-hmm. but he's human and he has an addiction. Right. That's kind of sexy. <laughs> right, right, right. And it, I think, again, that I think like you were saying, it's they're showing that like, oh, here's somebody that teaches us and here's somebody we look up to mm-hmm. all our lives, higher education, but he still has faults right. too. right. Which is kind of funny because I don't, I don't really see my students as not seeing as me as human or flawed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't see them that that like, right. uh, you know. I, I don't see that them that enamored with the profession. Do you feel what kind of from year to year? Do you feel that there's a similar type of student coming in? Like, are they all sort of in the same place at life? Are they all looking for the same to get the same sort of thing out of an English class? Um, I don't know. Because I would assume that there's a certain – I mean this happens in film, so so I'm projecting a little bit. There's just going to be – if there's 200 kids, I know there's going to be 10 who are actually interested. And the other kids are just taking a class they think it's going to be easy. Uh, I I have a little bit different situation because I, mm-hmm. I teach at Cal State Channel Islands. It's a, it's a tiny school. It's mm-hmm. a state school. And most of the students we get are kids who got accepted into the UCs but can't afford them. So we get really motivated students. There's no fraternities or sororities on campus. So we don't. We get no one who's looking to party. Um, we have no athletics there, so we don't have any any athletes. Um, so the reason students go there is either they live in the area or it just has a very good academic reputation. So they're going there to get an education. So, so it's actually a pretty good connection then with the students there. Yeah, I mean, my my students are great. Um, yeah. I don't get frustrated with students. Um, when I think of the things that frustrate me about the job, it's it's almost never the students. You know, there have been one or two over the course of what have I been there twelve years. So there, but I mean, I probably taught two thousand students there, and maybe three were a pain in the ass. You, yeah. you know, I mean, so yeah. it's it's such a small number that 
that it doesn't matter. Um, and those three's names were. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all had weak arms. <laughs> um, some of these, like, so did you, like, Squid and the Whale is actually a pretty big hit. And it's yeah, pre- actually a good movie. Yeah, excellent movie. Yeah. What, Again, Jeff Bridges is a professor. Not Jeff Bridges. I don't know why I said that. Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. He's, yeah. Jeff Daniels is in terms of endearment, too. I, That's right. I shouldn't have said Jeff Bridges. Um, but, yeah, Jeff Daniels is, plays a professor again who's, mm-hmm. again, cheating on his wife, sleeping with a student. But Laura Linney doesn't have cancer in that. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, so he's improving. Oh, um, he's getting one. better. But that's a hell of a good movie, man. I really yeah. like that movie. Yeah, it's good. Um, and they, they it's it's such a nice, like, because that term coming of age movie is mm-hmm. so overused and it really just means like almost any teenage movie. Right. But there's actually things in there that like you feel for those characters. You feel for the family. Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. So did that character ring more true or does it still feel like a movie to you? Well, Noah Baumbach's father is an English professor mm-hmm. and, um, and he's a writer too and I don't know him and I don't know much about him. Um, having read, I've read a couple of his novels though and having read Jonathan Bombach novels, mm-hmm. I could see that character being based on him, mm-hmm. but I just have no idea. I don't know, how, you know. I mean, I right. I'm not saying that's the case, mm-hmm. um, but well, he, he strikes me like? as he, I strikes he, pretentious, yeah. you know. And, <laughs> and, but did did he ring true? Um, he rang atypical, mm-hmm. but he could. But I mean, that was a that was a good performance. I mean, Jeff Daniels is a good actor, mm-hmm. and um, and I think. The way that movie was shot, you know, the settings, um, the performances, I think just about whatever he did would have ring true, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, storytelling is another interesting one. That's an uh-huh. incredibly unusual film. Right, But right. which one is the – who's the English professor in that one? There's a, a creative writing professor, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know the actor's name. And and mm-hmm. uh, and he's teaching a class, and, and – um, Selma Blair is that the right name? Yeah. For the actress, she um, she's in the class and she write writes a story about having sex with him, um, and she reads it in the creative writing class, and um, and he critiques her account of their sex. Um, Todd Solons is the director, right? Yeah. Okay, and he and and the thing is, his movies are all bleak, you know, and and there there I can't think of anyone who really comes across that well in any of his movies. No, it, it's stylized. Yet there'll be there'll be aspects of characters you totally know the people in real right. life. Right, and so so he I give him a bit of more of a pass, but but not only is it the typical English professor sleeping with his student, but he's a black guy. And he, um, which at least is atypical. Usually they're white guys, yeah. you know. Um, but he, he's a black guy, and, and what what Selma Blair reads is is kind of uh, um, like here's his big black cock inside of me, and so he's this kind of hypersexualized black guy. So you kind of have this actor dealing with two kind of heavy stereotypes. Right. And then, but overall, what do you think of the film? It's a good movie. <laughs> Just because they have creepy uh, or 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 poor um, right. portrayals of English professors doesn't mean that I don't like the movie. Right, <laughs> some of them are pretty good. I like the Squid in the Well a lot. I like uh, uh-huh. I like um, storytelling. I mean, there's a handful of these on the list that are yeah. Robert good. Wisdom is the actor. Okay, in that who's a good actor. 
And it is always older. He was good in he was good in that movie. Yeah. None of these films. Do any of these films have like a teacher that's the same age? It's never like a young professor. It's always like an old professor, isn't it? Old professor having having an affair with it yeah, with a, a younger student. Almost always. Um, yeah. I guess oh, we should ask the obvious question: Have you ever known a professor that slept with a student? Yes. <laughs> so all this shit's true. Um, it's no. but again, it's 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 atypical. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so was that actually in the English department? Do, you know, yes. Um, not at not at my school. Um, but uh, but where yeah, um, where I got my my doctorate, I had a, a professor who was hitting on one of the doctoral students there, and they had an affair. Mm-hmm. I used to have a colleague who was not an English professor at Channel Islands who was married to one of his former students and they'd been having an affair while she was in his class oh, and they wow. got married. So it, it happens. Um, mm-hmm. it hap- it doesn't happen all that often. Um, and one of the reasons it, it creeps me out is when I was a master's student at, at Northern Arizona university, um, I got in this really awkward situation where a teacher was trying to have sex with me and I, why didn't we, why didn't we bring, we should have led with this. <laughs> But so, uh, but it, it was a it was a poetry professor and uh-huh. and she kind of had this thing like after the poetry workshop let's all go get a get a beer at this bar which is a bad idea you know you shouldn't drink or engage in any drugs poetry workshop or <laughs> <laughs> drinking <laughs> drinking just drinking with a teacher yeah yeah it's trippy. a bad idea yeah. um and so and I don't think I've ever drank with one of my students um, yeah. occasionally I'll like I'll get a single beer with a former student at, who's had graduated several years ago that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but uh but i don't have sex with them (laughs) (laughs) but anyway so so we're at the bar and after the after we're leaving the bar she says to me can you give me a ride home and i say sure um so we walk to my truck and 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 she gives me directions and her house is like 300 yards from the bar and and i'm thinking well, why do you need a ride home, you know? Right. Um, and uh, and so she wouldn't get out of my truck. She's like, would you like to go inside? And I said, no, thanks. I'm, I'm just going to head on home. She said, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not afraid. I just don't want to go inside. And she just wouldn't let up. And she's like doing the hair flip. She's, uh, she's just, she will not get out of my fucking truck. And mm-hmm. this went on, and I'm not exaggerating, for a good 10 minutes. You know, because I was looking at the clock. I'm like, sooner or later, she's going to get out. And mm-hmm. I even had it in my head. If this goes to 10 minutes, I'm just going to take my keys and walk out of the truck and walk home. Wow. I'm, o- I'm only like two miles from home. I'll just walk there. Right. And it, it, w- it was tough because she was, she was on my thesis committee. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my, my now wife, then girlfriend, was in the class. Mm-hmm. You know, so, I mean, I just had a lot to lose. And, if, and it was just the two of us. And she could have spun in any way she wanted. You know, and I was just, it was not cool, man. It was a really tense situation. Mm. Um, so it's really creepy to put a, a student in that situation. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and I can just say this since people can't see you talking or don't know you. Like, you're definitely not, like, the Don Juan kind of guy that, like, thinks women are just begging. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, I don't I don't really put those signs out there. Yeah, you know? yeah, you know, no. I, I'm, I, I, you're I not a player. You're not like no. some like jockey. You're definitely not a jock student. <laughs> so, no offense. You're in great shape. But it's like, it's it's funny because a movie, it's, these, it's not ugly people in movies. It's never like, I mean, besides it's just famous people. Right. So you have a connection to this person. I mean, Dennis Quaid. 
Especially right. as he's gotten older, is this huge sex symbol. Right. So to put him in this form, it's like uh, in this role, is a choice. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you even look at at the leads in a, a lot of these movies, you have you have like Mark Wahlberg, you have um, mm-hmm. William Hurt, Michael Douglas, Hugh Grant. Um, yeah. So on. I'm not yeah, going to list them all. Like but. huge, huge stars. So you're 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 stacking the deck a certain way. Right. Right. So. So wait, so was everything normal after that? Was it just sort of never talked about after that night? Sort of never talked about. After about 10 minutes, she got out of my truck. I drove home. We acted like it never happened. She stayed on my thesis committee. I had to take the rest of the class. You know, I I never went back out to that bar. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I didn't – I went back to the bar. I just never went back to the bar after class when she was there. Right. Yeah. It's heavy. It's really heavy. Yeah. Do any of these films – ever sort of deal with that like a relationship is the plot point and it's a teacher-student relationship and that's what that's a pretty heavy story just by itself between ethics and morals and what's going on i don't think any of these films deal with that right i don't think so no because not really a single man which is also a recent film a good film yeah it's a good good film and and he doesn't sleep with one of his students so one of his students does hit on him and there is an awkward scene in a in a car you know which where his student won't get it want, or he's in the car and his, I guess his student wants to get in the car and yeah you know, it's been it's, it's been a while since I've seen that one but that one is is it is it that one that he's gay though right, right. A student? and so it's a male student yeah right which is also I mean that's that's probably that's got to be the only film going that way right I don't I think most of these films are very traditional yeah most of them are, are Hetero, hetero, as as we say in English, heteronormative. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's also like, is it all male English professors in these two? Almost all. Because um, I brought up that film, uh, a good film, a teacher, but it's high school. Right. And a female teacher. Um, which is kind of like, uh, that's also like a classic story, Pamela Smart. That's actually a huge, there's a lot of true stories about bad things happening with a female teacher. Right. But you don't really see the same – it's not the same vibe when it's a male teacher. Well, because it, 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 if you're talking about high school, you're introducing pedophilia you yeah. know, or statutory rape. And and, um, and we seem to be okay with it if, if it's the guy getting <laughs> yeah. statutory raped. Yes. Um, which, you know, I mean having been in that truck with that professor, it's, it's not cool to be in that kind of power imbalance regardless of your gender. And, that, and that's the thing too is like after that happened – you know, who could I have told about that at the time? You know, if I told my friends, they'd have been like, oh, dude, you should have fucked her. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, that's uh, absolutely not what I should have done. <laughs> you know? That is a classic dude response. <laughs> um, you would have got – I did know somebody – when I was in college, I knew a guy who slept with his teacher. I don't remember what class it was. Mm-hmm. He got a C. <laughs> If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin... I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So where would I uh, find him? He's technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. Do you have a spare picture I could borrow? 
Just while we're on that idea of a movie being made from a famous book, or at least uh-huh. a popular book, what's your vibe on that in general? Because usually the the classic cliche is like, not as good as the book. Right, right. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of film, too. So, um, so I, I, don't, I don't usually take that, that tact. What I like is when directors take the book as an inspiration and do something interesting with it. You know, like you and I have been talking about Inherent Vice, and mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a pension scholar. And, um, and so this is the first film made out of a, out of a pension novel. Mm-hmm. And I went to see it, and I thought, that's about as good as that movie could have been. You know, I mean, that, that was a – and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of his, mm-hmm. but I, I think he's a good filmmaker. I, I have a great deal of respect for him. I just mm-hmm. – what, like, what about – what about Pynchon makes it hard to make a film out you, of his books? You kind of almost have to do it as a cartoon because, <laughs> because the books uh. are almost cartoony. You know, he has scenes where, like, guys are escaping in a hot air balloon and they fight off a, a, a bomber with custard pies. You know, I mean, they're just – there's talking dogs. It, it, things are, are really absurd and, and they, they don't really abide by the laws of physics. Right. Um, it's interesting then that he didn't make a film that was either, like, Salvador Dali completely surreal right or like Marx Brothers like total satire right right where scene uh, the scene after scene didn't need to match each other but it had it had it would have to be high high comedy right right but he didn't choose that no no he didn't and and like I always thought if anyone did a uh pension movie well it would have to be Terry Gilliam because mm-hmm. he can really deal with that those levels of uh, of you know abstract and absurdity and all of that but I thought uh, Anderson did a great job of, um, of, well, casting the movie, creating the mm. tension, getting the vibe, you know, taking a lot of the lines and making them mean something different. I thought mm-hmm. Josh Brolin in that movie was incredible, you know, um, yeah. so, so I, you know, I mean, a lot of times I like that. I like it when, when they take books and they make, um, when, and they make something really original out of it. I guess like the the flip side is uh, the Quiet American with um, mm-hmm. Michael Caine came mm-hmm. out about fifteen years ago or something, mm-hmm. and um, and I I really like that novel by Graham Greene. And when I watched the movie, when I when I heard that Brendan Fraser was being cast as as the lead, I thought he, he's he's perfect, you know. I mean, because mm-hmm. he's kind of a a dumb jock CIA guy, you know. And that was exactly where he was at that point in his career, right. you know. And and he he was great as that role Michael Caine was exactly the guy from the book and and the movie looked exactly like the book mm-hmm. so why do, why watch it you know I mean, <laughs> I mean I read the book you know right um, and you'll get more out of the book because then you'll get more of the history of, of that kind of the British in Vietnam mm-hmm. prior to the Americans coming in and you, you'll understand more about the Vietnam War if you watch the if you read the book than if you watch the movie yeah, that's interesting. It is a different type of art form, but then if you're going to replicate it, then you're talking about something uh, that has to be experienced in two hours mm-hmm. or less. Yeah, yeah. And, and so do something cool yeah. and original with it, you know? Yeah. Like Terry Gilliam's uh, adaptation of Fear and Loathing of Las Vegas. I love that. That's crazy, <laughs> man. It's... Right, and that one's like that, – that, that is such a loaded just subject. Because mm-hmm. you've got a person who's a character larger than life, but a real person. Mm-hmm. You know the things that he's doing. Some of the things he does in real life are in order to be theatrical. Right. Then you've got a book he wrote. Then you've got somebody else making it. And it's like the fourth time somebody tried to make it. Right. 
because have you seen Where the Buffalo Roam? Yeah, yeah. Which I need to rewatch before I talk about it. But I remember it like, like loving bits of it so much and it not working as a whole. Right. And there might have been a lot of cocaine on that set, which is to blame. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, well, Bill Murray was Bill Murray. He's, he's, yeah. He, he doesn't have to do anything and he can carry a movie. Right. Um, but uh, but the Terry Gilliam one when he put Benicio del Toro playing mm-hmm. uh, basically basically Oscar Zeta Acosta, and I mean that that was great. I'd, I'd love to just see it. I would have loved to have seen Benicio del Toro just play um, Oscar Zeta Acosta. Maybe adapt one of his books, Revolt of the Cockroach People, or something, and just have him play that role. Right, you know, yeah. he's getting he's getting old now. You know, it's, but but other than that, yeah, that's interesting. Are there books on this subject? Are there famous books where an English professor is the main character? There are, and in in most of those, um, mm-hmm. they sleep with their students. Jesus too. Christ! <laughs> like uh, Tom Cat and Love by uh, Tim O'Brien, um, mm-hmm. Stoner, which is by John Williams. It's kind of this classic novel that once you get into a master's program in English, almost everyone will read Stoner. Oh, really? Um, it's it it's the last name of a guy. He's not. It's set. It's set in the tw- early twentieth century. You know, so uh-huh. like he, Jane Smiley has has a book about it. Um, Ali Smith, The Accidental. You know, a lot of those books. Yeah, it's crazy. And that well, I mean that get that gets me to the heart of my beef with mm-hmm. the, well half of my beef. I have two real beefs with okay. this, and and one of them is surely there has to be a more interesting storyline for an English professor. You know, like I'm around English professors all the time and they have interesting lives mm-hmm. and you could make interesting movies about it where their, where their careers are, um, are paramount, you know? Right. So, so that's one thing. I mean, it's just lazy screenwriting is part of the problem. And you can look at these, there's a lot of shitty movies on this list, you know, like the rewrite and some kind of beautiful. And I mean, these are terrible, terrible movies. Right. Um, and uh, and so that, that that's that's like half of my beef. Right. And there could be there. There's no reason it has to be the same plot for right. this character. Right. Like over and over. I have a colleague, and I I don't think uh, he'll mind me telling this story if he hears this. But I have a colleague who um, is a brilliant guy. He he mm-hmm. focuses in environmental lit, and um, and he's written some really kind of powerful work, and he's kind of pushed the field forward. And he also does a lot of stuff on, on Moby Dick. And he teaches a class on Moby Dick, and it's really popular at our school. And he gets people really – because it's a great book if you don't read it in high school. You know, <laughs> if you have like a sense of why it's great, if you take your time and read it, you oh, don't have some, some bully just telling you, you know, this is what Ahab means. And, and you know, if, 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 if you have a good professor, Moby Dick is a great book. Um, right. But so I have this colleague who – it's a brilliant guy. And like I've gone surfing with him a couple times, and he wears a helmet surfing. Because he's really concerned about what his head, you know. <laughs> right, that's great. <laughs> and uh, so everything he does, he's always wearing a helmet, right? You see him riding his bike on campus. He has his helmet. He's going 10 miles an hour. Right. You know, and he, he's always protected his noggin in ways that I just never <laughs> thought of. And, uh-huh. um, and <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I'll go bombing hills on a skateboard still without a helmet on. You know, right. I'm ridiculous about that. Um, but, uh, but then about two years ago, he was getting these migraines and he went in and he, he had um, a cyst in his brain. Mm-hmm. And so he had a brain surgery and there was a good mm-hmm. chance that he was not going to come out of it with that same intelligence. Wow. And he was, he was dating a woman for a number of years. They were living together. 
she had better insurance than him. She could get him to the best doctors. So she said, let's get married. You know, she kind of took him in. Um, Mm. He had to go through, through like almost losing everything he had, you know, and here, and to me, that's a, that's a real and intense and dramatic story. Tell that, write that fucking movie. You know, that's an interest. That would be an interesting movie. Yeah. You know, Um, he lived, everything's okay. I was going to say, yeah. And is he, does he feel like any difference, any problem with memory or reading? He he says, if I did, how would I know? Which is, you know, kind of true, but, but I don't notice any difference. You know, I spent a lot of time with him both before and after, and, and he doesn't seem to have lost anything. That's great. Um, and, and his you even wife have a happy ending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, it'd be, it'd be right. kind of great. It'd be a great movie. There. Yeah. So there's my, there's my pitch. You, you can have it for free. Not you personally. Anyone <laughs> listening to this can make that movie. Yes. It's not my story anyway. You know, I guess you'd have to contact him for rights. But that could yeah. be an interesting movie. You know? Totally. And he didn't fuck anyone. But probably, <laughs> I mean his wife. You know, I'm sure right. they had sex. <laughs> you know, but he didn't fuck any of his students. You know, they didn't even have romances with them. Meanwhile, I'm trying to think of like, oh, wait, what are the other teachers that have cool stories? And it's fucking Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, yeah. He's this super sexy amazing there's even scenes with women going crazy for him in that stupid history class yeah. and he's like sorry i gotta go do this thing right and right. beat nazis yeah which is interesting because he's an anthropologist in that right and um a few years ago rick scott the governor of florida wanted to cut money to education he said we don't need any more anthropologists like, didn't oh, you watch be... Indiana Jones, you fucker? <laughs> <laughs> who's going to beat anthropology? the Nazis? Yeah, yeah, that's what oh, he, that's that's such what he a, said. That's such a like, religious thing. Like, we yeah. don't need any more dinosaur bones? Like, we don't need any more proof? <laughs> what is that? Uh, this carbon dating's gotten really out of hand. I know, I know. The anthropologists at my uh-huh. university have just uncovered remains of a civilization off the coast of California that are 13,000 years old. Wow, and really? so they've been doing that dig, you know? So to oh, me, yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's, that's worth the... Twenty grand a year they get paid. Right? <laughs> no, no, they get, they get paid way more than that. Way more than that. Uh, what, what's the other half of your beef? The other half of my beef, beef is like the Rick Scott stuff. You know, mm-hmm. there's this huge move to defund education and um, mm-hmm. and higher education. In the last thirty five years, it used to be that public universities were funded in something like three quarters of their budget were funded by the by the state, mm-hmm. and now it's more like a quarter. You know, there's mm. there's schools like Michigan where something like my my numbers aren't exact. I didn't look these up before, <laughs> but, uh, right. but something like seven percent of the budget of University of Michigan comes from the state of Michigan. Mm. Something like fourteen percent of at Florida State comes from Florida. You know, so when Rick Scott's saying that, he's got like you know, less than a 20% interest in the school, you know, and he's appointing the fucking president, you know, and he's yeah. making his buddy the president, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah. um, who, his buddy who has no, I don't know if you know this, but he, he uh-huh. made one of his political cronies, the president of Florida state a couple of years ago. Oh no, I didn't know. Yeah. That. Yeah. With, with the 15% that they're shelling out to fund the school, you know, That's so, crazy. so when you're doing that and mm-hmm. then you're, you're saying, well, Look, culturally speaking, it's just a bunch of bumbling sexual predators anyway. Who gives a shit? <laughs> you know, I mean, you're really doing a disservice with all of these movies. We've got two dozen movies made in the last 35 years since this defunding has happened, and all of them are negative portrayals. Well, we get the two that actually I want to ask you about because I don't think they're English, and I think I asked you about this before, Goodwill uh-huh. Hunting. Goodwill Hunting is the big 
that's the first thing people think of when they think positive professor portrayal. Right, right. For Robin Williams' portrayal of the community college professor who – but really what he does positively is he, he's a therapist. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not like Matt Damon was in his class and was kind of turned on to the world and, right. and realized that he needs to look oh, into his problems right. because he took a psychology class to a community he's college. He's a janitor at MIT. Right. That's the thing. Right? And, and the professor at MIT is kind of a, a dick, right? Isn't he? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> he's like a pretentious jerk but then you know he he looks down on this community college guy robin williams as i remember right. it but it's been 15 yeah, it's been years probably since i watched but then of course that segue is a dead poet society which again it's a high school yeah, yeah interesting yeah. but i'll give dead poet society credit for this at least they understand what the romantics were oh because yeah. like in um there's this terrible movie called some kind of beautiful and stars pierce brosnan as like a 45 year old professor you know like 60 year old pierce brosnan he's having an affair with jessica alba which is i mean it's like his granddaughter yeah. <laughs> you know? um right and uh and he's supposed to be a professor of the romantics you know like uh keats and and shelley and coolridge and wordsworth the, those guys um and at uh Cambridge mm -hmm. and so he starts off his class and he says the university wants us to call this romanticism in theory but I'm taking out the theory and I'm like Shelley was a theorist he wrote the art of poetry fucking Coleridge was a theorist you know <laughs> um, so at least at least Robin Williams knew his poetry in that in that you know he had a high school level knowledge of high school level texts you know <laughs> and so credit to him so what about those writers makes them theorists the actual writers, not in the movie, but in real life. The theory that they wrote. I mean, they were, they were heavily f philosophical and looking at, at interactions between um, small mm. things and large things. Like, like, for instance, Wordsworth wrote the dandelions where he was looking at the dandelions and looking at a cluster of them and imagining them to be the stars in the heaven and understanding how everything is, in a sense, unified. You know, so they had these kind of deep ideas that just by going into nature and really experiencing it and opening yourself up you can you can get much deeper truths you know you can mm -hmm. kind of so that, so they were really deep into ontological arguments or no, i'm sorry epistemological arguments so mm -hmm. yeah so and that's uh, what makes them theorists and unabashedly like the group of them oh unabashedly yeah 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 i mean that was their thing they were they were very proud of themselves for doing it yeah <laughs> very happy with themselves right right and then um have you seen Irrational Man? Is that the most recent English professor film? Well, that's philosophy professor. Oh, he's philosophy. Okay. Right, right. Did you see it though? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like Woody Allen's movies. That the age difference has been creeping me out a little bit because Emma, Emma yeah. Stone looks so young, um, and uh, and he had her with uh, Colin Farrell in Magic in the Moonlight, and then he had her with uh, Joaquin mm -hmm. Phoenix, and it just I don't know, it just creeps me out a little bit, you know. Um, and yeah, is that is, how do you think it changes when somebody's a philosophy professor versus an English professor? <laughs> well, to Woody Allen's credit, he, he has a good knowledge of philosophy. So, mm -hmm. like when when um, say Mark Wahlberg is giving a lecture in, in The Gambler, he uh, has no idea what he's talking about. He's supposed to be talking about Shakespeare and Camus, and he's just hitting on the girl in the movie. Okay. Um, in the remake of The Gambler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in the remake. Um, but but when when uh, Joaquin Phoenix is talking in in a, an irrational man, he's um, he knows he knows his stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. So I mean, he's actually because Woody Allen knows his stuff. Woody Allen is a is a brilliant man. Mm -hmm. 
creepy guy, <laughs> clearly, but a brilliant, hell of a filmmaker. Did you? Uh, what do you think about Shakespeare? It's all right. You know, I mean, I. Th- <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer for me. <laughs> I, I mean, I've I've read a lot of his plays. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of depth to him. I understand why we study him. Mm-hmm. Does uh, it come it's off? It's just not a personal favorite of mine. You know, I, w- yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't teach Shakespeare in part because we have a Shakespeare scholar already, someone who already does that, mm-hmm. um, and in part because I just I'm not that interested in Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. How did you get so interested in Pinchon? Um, just his books blew me away, mm-hmm. and uh, and so. And and he's he's always kind of countercultural and and um, I mean he's uh, a lot of his politics are are kind of in line with mine and and his stuff is really challenging. You can read it again and again and and not know everything about it. And mm-hmm. that makes him fun to teach because even though I'm a scholar of him, I'm not. I don't I don't know everything, you know. <laughs> and so when I right. when students come up with ideas, a lot of times that's very fresh to me and interesting. Yeah, so that actually there's room to move when you're teaching yeah. him and yeah. stuff. And so when you say you're a scholar of him, does that mean you had to write uh, a I wrote dissertation? dissertation on him. Uh-huh. I wrote another uh, the book about him and Occupy. I've written several mm-hmm. articles for peer-reviewed journals on him. Mm-hmm. And is he the guy that's like really like nobody can talk to, or no one can? He has no he has no public persona. That's right. Um, so apparently he has friends. I mean. He uh, he hangs out with other writers. So apparently, he's friends with like Salman Rushdie and Dom DeLillo. Mm-hmm. So you could just follow those guys, Dom DeLillo. Um, yeah. And um, and yeah, he seems like he seems like the version of Stanley Kubrick, where uh, or even Terrence Malick, who are very well known. Everybody idolizes them. Mm-hmm. They just don't want to play the PR game. Right, and it's right. not that they're he hermits. Need to. Yeah, they're not that they're shut-ins and they don't go outside. They're just like I just, they just don't want to do interviews and press kits and all right. that stuff. Right. And believe me, if if I didn't have to do all that stuff for my books, I wouldn't. <laughs> I would. I wouldn't. <laughs> right. I wouldn't travel two thousand miles to do a reading to twelve people in a bookstore. Right. <laughs> Is there are there any writers that you're surprised people don't make movies out of? There's been a, a series of. Uh, novels that are set in Koreatown that have just come out um, written oh, by right. a, a local woman here, Steph Cha and, mm-hmm. and they would make some really good movies you know, and they're all mm-hmm. in Koreatown and, and Los Feliz and Hollywood and, and um, it, they're great they, sh- they probably should be made into adapted into films, you know What do you wear when you teach? Do they get that right in movies? Um I mean, I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm as slovenly as that. I, I, I don't wear a corduroy blazer. I don't have anything with patches on the elbows. Um, <laughs> That's disappointing. And it's different also because I'm in Southern California. So, oh, um, sure. So you'd be ridiculous in a blazer at <laughs> Cal State Channel Islands. You know, no no one wears right. a tie. Right. Um, I what do I, what do I wear? I usually wear like a plaid button up and and dickies and. But that's the other, the thing about movies is almost all these all these professors we're talking about are men, um, and they're almost all white. And white males are probably the minority of professors. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority, of, if, if you're going to pick a, a, an ethnicity and a gender, it's probably mostly white females. Mm. For um, English, for English, and just for most fields. Yeah. Um, computer science is different, mm-hmm. um, but but there's been a long kind of push for more um minority hiring and things like that and mm-hmm. so um 
so you, you have a lot more people of color you have a lot more diversity in, in university faculties and you're doing movies about university faculty yeah what are some of the non-white men books that you uh, or writers that you teach i i teach uh a lot of chester himes I'm a big fan of Chester Himes. Um, he's he's great too because he's hard to take. You know, he's really confrontational. He's really angry, and and so you don't have that just kind of feel good multiculturalism. You have to deal with here, here's an angry black man who you don't like. <laughs> you know, yeah. and uh, but you have to listen to him. You have to listen to his his take and where his anger comes from, and and especially now with with. Uh, Black Lives Matter and that kind of stuff. It's great to teach someone like Chester Himes that that makes you think. Look, the guy doesn't have to be an angel. He just shouldn't get shot. <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, exactly. it doesn't matter if he has a police record for c carrying marijuana. You know, yeah. he still doesn't. That doesn't deserve the death penalty. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if he he was a dick when you pulled him over at, at midnight. You know, he yeah. doesn't deserve the death penalty for that. Right. So Chester Himes is, is, is a great one for that. Um, I teach uh, Tony K. Bambara is one of my, my favorite authors to teach. Mm -hmm. um, she was uh, kind of a 70s radical. And, and uh, when Toni Morrison was, um, was an editor, she, she, her, her big writer was Tony K. Bambara. Oh, wow. um, so I teach her, um, teach Flannery O'Connor. I'm just a big fan of Flannery O'Connor. I teach um, an American Lit a uh, graphic novel by a woman named um, Jessica Abel. It's called La Perdida, and it's it's about a mm -hmm. woman who is Mexican American and goes to Mexico to find her roots and learns learns quite a bit, you know, about about identity and and then it's a pretty exciting graphic novel too. Uh, so you mentioned uh, how Moby Dick is actually better if we read it now. Do you have another? Uh, uh, we can end with a book recommendation, either something somebody should revisit or something you teach that you think people would like and maybe don't know about. Oh man, it's so hard to give one one book recommendation. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, we could also say like, what's the last? What's the most recent book you read that you're that you liked? Um, right right now I'm reading this crazy book. Um, called Goodis. It's on the, there's a crime writer, David Goodis, and I love his stuff. He, uh -huh. he wrote, um, you know the Godard film, Shoot the Piano Player? Truffaut. Truffaut. You know the Truffaut We're film? We're going to let that slide. <laughs> yeah. They, are yeah different. A... Are, are, aren't they the same guy? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't, wasn't, that one, wasn't that one cool dude with glasses playing both roles? <laughs> <laughs> they were both very cool and good friends, yes. Uh, so yeah, but that's Truffaut's second film. It's great. Shoot yeah, the piano and that's player. based on a David Goodis novel. Oh, okay. And da I, I, love, I love his, his novels. Uh -huh. um, he was a pulp writer in the 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. And um, and this Frenchman was do shooting film here in L.A., and he was doing this series for, um, for French TV mm -hmm. on just old Hollywood. And so he used his, that to try to learn more and more about David Goodis, who was here uh -huh. as a screenwriter for a little bit. And, and so then he wrote a, kind of a biography, but it's not like a straight biography, where he's kind of trying to figure out who Goodis was who, from all the different stories that people tell about him. It's a really, really cool book. It's oh. called Goodis, A Life in Black and White. Oh, wow. So yeah, that that's what great. I was reading this morning. A Life in Black and White. Yeah. Awesome. So I'll just recommend what I was reading this morning. Yeah, it's perfect. Sean, thanks again. This is fun. Yeah, thanks. It was. Doc may not be a do-gooder, but he's done good. But I do know that I love you. And I know that 
Christmas.